0: Good? Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning In this bright, almost spring day, although it didn't feel like it quite this morning, did it? But we're on our way. Well, my name is Michael Certeau, and I serve as an elder here at West Cohasset Chapel, and it's a pleasure today to be able to share with you from God's Word while Pastor Joe and his family are out on vacation. And the text that I have chosen this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You can find this text on page 836 of the Bible, either under your seat or in the seat in front of you. Again, page 836, 1 Thessalonians two thirteen through 14. I'm going to read the text, and then we are going to ask God for his blessing on our time. and I will read a little bit into verse 15 as well. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those church suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. May the Lord bless his reading of his word. Let's go ask him for the help that we need. Father in heaven, we come to you needy, Your word says that we can't do anything without you. It's with great joy that we come to be fed and ministered by your word. As a farmer prepares his field for planting, Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts this morning for your word. Till and make ready our hearts so that when your precious words come, they fall on good soil. May your word penetrate us. May your spirit illuminate our minds to understand the wondrous things that you have for us. And give me the help that I need to communicate it. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the Bible is not just a book. Yes, it's a collection of writings on Earth's history and a history of mankind and civilizations, a collection of letters and poetry, and some would say a documentary on the most influential man the world has ever seen. But more than that, it is a book that is collectively known as the Bible. Its contents, written over 1,500 years by over 40 writers in three different languages, are God's self-revelation to humanity of a God who that we could never otherwise know Him. It is a history of God dealing with mankind and our waxing and waning in our trust and obedience to Him as our creator, owner, and sustainer of life. Within its pages are the great problem, the the great rift in our relationship with God, the, the great chasm that was created by Adam through his disobedience and sin that was carried through all of humanity, which is called complete and total depravity. The psalmist writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51.5. As Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 Verse 1 As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That term total depravity is a term that means complete and utter moral corruption and wickedness. And humanity and our spiritual deadness cannot know God. Charles Ryrie, in his book The Survey of Bible Doctrine, wrote of total depravity it does not mean that everyone is as thoroughly depraved in his actions as he could be nor that everyone will indulge in every form of sin nor that a person cannot appreciate or even do acts of goodness but it does mean that the corruption of sin extends to all men and to all parts of men so that there is nothing within the natural man that can give him merit in God's sight but also within the pages of scripture is great hope and love but also justice love expressed by God who has not left us out amongst the ruins of our sinful nature and our spiritual deadness, of hope, the hope of salvation from the pains and sins of life awakening us unto eternal life, and of justice, the fact that God dwells in unapproachable light in which he cannot and will not be in the presence of sin for he is completely holy and just and cannot and will not change from that innate nature. Thus, sin must be atoned for if we are to have any relationship with him. Now, some might call the Bible the Jesus book, and that's really what it is. Through the pages are recorded the ages in which God promised to redeem humanity through Messiah, the coming Savior. It is his story, and we've heard that before. And God used certain human writers through history as agents as he carried them along by his Holy Spirit inspiring them to write down this great unfolding of this redemption, the coming of the king. To Noah, it was revealed the quarter of the world in which Messiah would come. To Abraham, the nation of Messiah. To Jacob, the tribe of Messiah. To David and Isaiah, the family of Messiah. To Micah, the town in which he'd be born. To Daniel, the time in which he'd be born. To Malachi, the forerunner who would come before him. To Zechariah, the presentation of Messiah. To Isaiah, the suffering of Messiah. To Jonah, his resurrection was typified. And in the fullness of time, it says in Galatians 4.4, 4, God brought forth his Son, born of a woman. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, lived a human life. But unlike the whole of humanity, Christ lived a sinless life. Of his purpose, Christ came into the world to save sinners. First. Timothy 1.15 He gave himself for us and redeemed, from all, redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Titus 2.14 And how did he accomplish this great task? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for Christ also suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God 1 Peter 3:18. And when his willing death happened on the cross, the great veil that separated sinful humanity from the time of Adam that separated us from God was torn in two. And we have access to the God of the universe through his son Jesus Christ. And this was the infinitely precious message that the apostles of the New Covenant, the New Testament, were sent to proclaim the gift of eternal life offered through the atoning work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Now I'll give you that lengthy introduction to this text because this is the message, the gospel, the gospel of Christ, the word of truth that the Apostle Paul and Silas were bringing to the people of Thessalonica. So before we get into the text, I want to set the stage a little bit. Um, most of you didn't have the opportunity to set through uh, uh, the adult Sunday school that we had last fall on First Thessalonians. So I want to at least set the context a little bit and uh, share with you where we're at in, in history. So it's about 51 AD. Paul and Silas are in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. They've just gotten replete, uh, uh, released from prison in Philippi for sharing the gospel. And so let's pick it up as it's recorded in history In Acts 17, you can follow with me along if you want. I'll read the first five verses to set the stage. Acts 17, verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaimed to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a not few prominent women. Verse 5, But the Jews were jealous. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Now it seems as though as we as we go through Acts, every place that Paul went and preached the gospel, two things seem to start a church and a riot. And that's really what happens when you share the gospel. The world hates the true and only gospel. And that's really what the Word of God does. To some, it is the smell of death. To others, it is the fragrance of life. Christ said, you're either for me or you're against me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the, hate, the world hates the fact that there is only one way for salvation. Now, Paul spent essentially... Two to three weeks, a minimum of 15 days in Thessalonica. And at that time, and during that time, a church was born. They got ran out of town by some jealous, unredeemed Jews and some hired city thugs. But God had done his salvific work and established a church. Now that's the context. If you notice on the back side of your, um, your worship folder, you'll notice three points. One is the source. What's the source of the word? What is the word? The seed, that's the second point. And then what does the seed produce? So let's get into the text. Verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work. In you who believe, so why is Paul thanking god didn 't he do the work of bringing the gospel to the thessalonians didn 't he say the words the word of truth didn 't he do the work? Well the only one answer is God caused the Word to feed the hungry. This is amazing and humbling truth. God is responsible for the calling for Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. John 6.65. Now to some, this calling of God seems threatening because it takes the new birth out of our control and it makes us feel helpless. That's to some of us. But to others, it's thrilling because they have already discovered that they're helpless. That's grace. It was not that Paul had eloquent speech or that he had come with any profound human wisdom. When he writes this to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God is the initiator in salvation. He has provided the gift of salvation to all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's get into the second point, the seed. I want to call out two words in this in this section, receive and accept. Let me read the intro again there in verse three, 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now in the Greek, those, t- those two words, receive and accept, are different. Uh, receive is palombano, and it means to receive something transmitted. And dekomai is the word accept, and it means to take up. To accept, but also to take up. So right now, you're all receiving my words. If you're listening. It's what's done with the words is what determines the outcome, the production. Now I heard it said that men speak approximately 8,000 words a day and, and women speak around twenty to 30,000 words a day. So by the time that I get through my two sermons today, I'm done. And my wife doesn't have to listen to me the rest of the day. So that may or may not be a blessing. But words are important. And it's important that we understand them and what's meant by them. So John Knox, he was a great Scott preacher uh, during the Reformation, said, The word of God is plain in itself. And if there appear any obscurity in one place, the Holy Ghost, which is never contrarious to himself, explains the same more clearly in other places. So let's go to the words of Christ. In the parable of sower uh, which we can find um, in a few of the Gospels, but um, I'm going to use uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 15. He shares about a farmer who went out to sow seeds. And as he, and he says, scattered the seeds, Christ said, Some fell along the path, some fell on rocky ground, some fell amongst the thorns, still others fell on good soil. And the ones that fell on good soil, it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Then Christ went on to tell the meaning of the parable. Beginning in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And let as I go through these, picture yourself where you're at and what you think about these. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and take away takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root they believe for a little while but in time of testing they fall away the seed that fell amongst the thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, let's accept, and by persevering, produce a crop. a crop. Now it's really about spiritual hunger. Christ said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. John six thirty five. One of America's great preachers in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, said, How glad I am to feed men that will eat. It is a pleasure indeed, the spiritually hungry, welcome heavenly food. They take it into themselves. They receive it as the bread their soul craves after. Oh, what a mercy it is when sermons are preached which feeds souls. And souls hear so as to feed thereon. It is a happy day when a full Christ and empty sinners meet. So what did the Thessalonians do with the words, That Paul preached to them, they accepted them because they fell on good soil. Their souls were hungry. The Thessalonians did not hear the simple words of a simple man. They heard God through a man in the good news that he shared. They took that word, they saw their complete need, their depravity, their sin. They saw their need for a Savior. They cherished the words, they held on to those words like a treasure, and they believed in Christ and they were saved. Immediate discharge from the payment of sin, past, present, and future. Not guilty, the verdict says. Christ paid it all in full. And that is the gift that was offered. And they accepted it. And as a result, they passed from death to life, from darkness to light, from a child of Satan to a child of God. And they were saved individuals making up a saved church. Go with me briefly just back to chapter 4 of excuse me, chapter 1, verse 4, I want to call something out to you. Chapter 1, verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now how did Paul know that he had chosen them for salvation? He goes on to write, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Now what's so special about the words that that Paul spoke. Well, I did I have said that they are the words of God and he says that. Well, how does that work? Salvation comes from God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, to the glory of God alone. Ephesians 2:8 and 9 says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So faith comes by hearing what? The words of Christ, the word of truth, the gospel. And this gospel says of Jesus Christ, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The gospel has come with power and with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The first work of the Holy Spirit in a called individual is illuminating the word of God and quickening it to our hearts to accept the glorious riches of our grace for salvation. The word of God and the Holy Spirit work in tandem in the new birth and in all other aspects of our lives, and neither of them works without the other. 1 Peter one twenty three says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. James 1.18 Christ said, It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 6.63 And then Paul to Timothy and 2 Timothy three fifteen and 17. From infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient for knowing and believing Christ for salvation. It is sufficient for reshaping our lives into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is sufficient for everything that we need for life and godliness. Listen to what Second Peter 1.3 says. His divine power and has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Did you hear that? Through our knowledge of him. How do we obtain that? Right here. Through the word of God. And listen to the last part. Why live a godly life? For God's own glory and goodness. If you're wondering why you exist, listen further. 1 Peter 2, 9. And Peter is writing a letter to to saved Christians. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You exist to show God. That's what our purpose is. We, ex- we exist to proclaim his excellencies in everything that we do. And, a God, and God is not glorified in a life that is not transformed and changed. The Thessalonians were a saved church. Their lives were radically different. Which now brings us to our third point, the production. We've talked about the source of that production, source of the seed. We've talked about the seed. Now what is that seed? Produce. So go with me in verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. True faith always produces evidence, works. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13:5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And isn't God good that he gives us Scripture that we can put our faith through the litmus test? He gives us, like James and 1 Peter, which are really true tests of living faith. Is our faith counterfeit, or is it the real deal? And recall back in chapter 1, verse 4, that Paul wrote, that God had chosen the Thessalonian church. They were God's elect, the true church of Jesus Christ. Why did he say that? How did he know? Well, faith produces works, evidence of regeneration. James says that faith without works is dead. Paul states to the Thessalonians that they were imitators of Christ Jesus, new creations. They were God indeed God's elect and called and beloved. So there is a repeat encouragement that what I've been going through here in in verse 14 is kind of a repeat encouragement that we see back in chapter 1 starting in verse 6. I'm just going to read that really briefly because I want you to see this. Verse 6, chapter 1. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has been known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report of what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were imitators. Mimites in the Greek Means mimics or or little copies. Well, who are they little copies of? Well, there it is in verse 6. You became imitators of us, who was Paul and Silas, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Evidence of regeneration. Now, the new life basically manifests itself in three areas in life. And you can write these down underneath uh, that section in production. Three areas: holiness, love, and suffering. Holiness, love, and suffering. And these are affirmed throughout the whole New Testament uh, in Paul's writings and the other writers. And they serve as a plumb line for our own faith, putting our lives through the sniff test. I don't want anyone leaving here today wondering whether you are saved or not. Let me go through these each real briefly and then think of yourself and your faith as we go through these, holiness. First 1 Peter 1:15, 1, "But just, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do." The Thessalonians were reflecting holiness. as I've already read, <clears throat> chapter one, verse nine. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's repentance, turning from their idols to God. They ask you a question for your consideration. What are your idols? Many times, in us human beings, it manifests itself in the mirror, doesn't it? In ourselves, putting ourselves and self-gratification in the place of God. John Piper writes, To be in Christ is to be in possession of the power to put to death the lusts of the flesh, to put off vicious habits like uncontrolled anger, slander, and lying, and to put on the qualities of love, kindness, meekness, patience, which identify a person as one of the elect of God. Pursue ongoing repentance as a child of the king, not as an orphan. The second one is love. Christ said, a new command I give to you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another john 13:34 the thessalonians were doing this if we see over in chapter 4 verse 9 paul writes now about your love for one another we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by god to love one another and suffer suffer like christ 1 peter 2 Verses 20-23 through says, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted to him, that is, God the Father, he entrusted to him who judges justly. And the Thessalonians were doing this as, as we've already heard about. Saving faith always produces fruit. Now that's the end of the exposition. I have some, just a few applications that I'd like to go through just briefly. To believers, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we've seen through this text that it is God's work at in you that initially brought you to salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is now through the power of the Holy Spirit which produces change. It's called sanctification. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, beloved, happens through this, through the living and abiding Word of God. My encouragement to you is listen to, read, mem- memorize, meditate on, feed on the Word of God, and ask the Lord that His precious Word come alive to you and to be your treasure and your delight. The psalmist writes in one, Psalm 119, Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And perhaps you find yourself tired and and weary of your self-effort to please God. Please know that you are already accepted by the King of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of life. Christ said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew Matthew eleven twenty eight. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once said, "The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender." And so, a question that I ask for you: Are you surrendered to Christ? Or are you fully surrendered to Him? So surrender yourself will to Him. Know Christ and know Him more and more. Christ is all and in all. Christ is your life, as we heard in Colossians. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ must increase. We must decrease. Paul wrote, while in jail, to the Philippians. And in chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, and he's referring to his confidence in the flesh. Listen to what he says, and this is in the message translation. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. Grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now to those who have not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is what I say. No one, I repeat, no one is out of the reach of God's salvation in Christ. No matter what you think of your past is, No matter how much you feel sorry for yourself, it is not about you. Reconciliation is making peace with God. It is removing the barrier of sin, producing peace, and enabling man to be saved. There are two aspects of reconciliation, objective and subjective. Objective reconciliation says that man is reconciled to God prior to faith, And man is rendered savable. The subjective aspect of reconciliation is is that in which man is reconciled to God when he believes. And that basis is on 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. So to those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior, I say this, be reconciled to God. Make peace with Him through Jesus Christ please do not wait the time is at hand salvation is offered to you and i'll leave you this quote from john calvin since no man is excluded from the calling upon god the gates of salvation the gate of salvation is open to all there is nothing else to hinder us from entering but our own unbelief father we thank you for the infinitely precious deposit of your word called the Bible. We thank you for blasting into, your, into our world and, in which we cannot know you. We thank you for making yourself known through your word. That is your written word deposited in the Bible. We thank you for making yourself known through your word, the living word, the incarnate Christ. We thank you for the fact that you have given us not only the book, but you've given us the indwelling teacher, the illuminator, the Holy Spirit, the very author of the book. What a thought that we should not only possess the book, but have living in us the very one who wrote it. Accomplish, Lord, your saving work in all those who hear that they may accept the good news of Jesus Christ and be saved. Help us, Lord, who have been saved by the power of your word, to be built up and nourished by its power. Help us to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us so richly that we have joy-filled outflow of those wonderful things described in this text that we have studied this morning. To excel still more in holiness, love, and when we suffer, which we will, to look to our example, Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith and is whose name we pray, amen.